I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was saddened to read of the passing of the man who was responsible for one of the purest, most beautiful sporting moments in my lifetime. This man was, his name was Jim Redmond. And the incident that I'm talking about took place 30 years ago in Barcelona. Jim's son Derek was competing for Great Britain in the 400 metres at the Olympics. He was one of our great medal hopes at the time, which, if I remember the Barcelona Olympics correctly, didn't say that much. But he had reached the semi-finals of the 400 metres, and in the semi-finals he was running the race of his life. And then at 150 metres, disaster struck. He tore a thigh muscle, and he felt a sharp pain in the back of his leg, and he collapsed onto the track. And slowly he began to struggle to his feet, but he couldn't prevail, he couldn't walk, let alone run. So he started hopping towards the finish line. And the medical team were trying to reach him and usher him off the track. And all the others were, because they were long finished. But suddenly another man barged him out of the way and got his way through. It was Jim, Derek's dad, who had been in the crowd and forced his way down to his son. And he said to him, you don't have to do this. The race is over. And Derek said, no, 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 I need to finish this race. Well, said his father, if you need to finish the race, we're going to finish it together. And so they did. They stayed in Derek's lane walking all the way around the rest of the track to the line. And Derek never won the gold medal eventually, but he left Barcelona with the memory of a loving father who came alongside his child in trouble and helped him over the line. In 1066, Norman armies invaded it successfully invaded England under William the Conqueror. And this is commemorated in the Bayou Tapestry. Bayou Tapestry, I don't know how to pronounce And this is one of the scenes from the Bayou Tapestry. It depicts a column of Norman soldiers on a horseback. And they are being followed by a guy in the middle. See if I can point them out. Yeah, this guy here. Called Bishop Odo. He's the Bishop of Bayou. 
and he's poking the last man or hitting the last man with a stick. Does anyone want to know what this section is called? Bishop Otto comforts the soldiers. Now, I don't know about you, and that's not what comes into my head when I think of being comforted. But, but it's these two stories, that, I, that different as they are, that I want to use to keep, keep you in mind as that help us unpack some of the latest line of the Apostles' Creed. They've been slowly working our way through the Creed over the last few months, and we've spent time thinking about God the Father, and then we've spent an extensive period of time on Jesus, and now we are entering the home straight. And I hope not to pull any spiritual or theological muscles, but we now embark on a series of quick, punchy single liners which are given to us without any real elaboration like the previous sections have. And today we're reflecting on the first one of them. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, in my lifetime, I would say the Holy Spirit has often seemed quite a divisive subject. Which, when you see where I'm going with this, is quite ironic. For some, it's almost as if well, we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit at all. It's like the Holy Spirit's almost retired. He's kind of waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And, you know, we, we you know, mentioned a joke about some churches that, that the Trinity referred to the Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. And then there are others who are all about the Holy Spirit, sometimes to the point where it feels like the Father and the Son have almost taken a back seat. And I've been in environments where people feel anxious or second class or maybe even wonder if they're Christians at all because they can't do something like speaking in tongues or whatever. And I was chatting with a colleague a few weeks ago, or a few months back actually, who was telling me that they too, you know, up and on me, I mean, we, we had great sort of consumptive on this, they too have been walking through the creed with their church. And they were, they said to me, they were looking for someone who really believed in the Spirit. But in a section, and I'm sort of raising two questions. One, do you not? Uh, and two, I find it a little odd because I have always sensed the Holy Spirit when I've been with that person. And it's a huge subject, and I would never even try to cover the whole thing in one go. So this morning I'm going to focus quite narrowly on some stuff Jesus says to the disciples about the Spirit on the night before he was crucified. He says, if you love me, keep my command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. And later he adds this... Uh, that the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything that I, uh, and remind you of all that I have said to you. And another word for Advocate, especially in our older translations, is Comforter. So I want to reflect on what this Advocate or Comforter, what does she do? What is she for? We read of the Holy Spirit at the start of Acts when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven following his resurrection. He tells the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of my Father, for they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days later. And this Holy Spirit would give them power, and they would be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth. And from there on, and the pages of Acts are saturated with references to the Holy Spirit. 
almost 60 mentions. In fact, the book, The Acts of the Apostles, could just as easily and accurately be entitled The Acts of the Holy Spirit. But comforter and power, they're not natural effects, are they? How do you bring them together? Well, the word comforter had a much richer, deeper meaning in English and history. Particularly our Bibles were first being translated, and it's quite it's worth going back to it to look at it because it tells us something more about it. We can see something about this in another verse in the Bible. Ephesians 6.10, in most of the modern translations, it will read something along the lines of, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Older translations, these opening words will be, Be ye comforted. And the word comforted was endynamuste. Endynamuste. What words do you think we get from that Greek word? M dynamos. Dynamite, yeah, is one. Dynamic is another, you know. So comforting isn't really about just showing support. It's also about power, empowerment. Jesus promised that when he ascended, he would ask the Father. And then he sent another advocate, another comforter, another source of power. And the Spirit is the one who comes down alongside us on our journey. Especially, but not only, when we would struggle to make it on our own. And at times, the Spirit might be there to comfort us in sorrow and ensure us of doubt. The Spirit may act at times, like Jim Redmond in the first story. But the Spirit's comfort is deeper than that. The Spirit, you know, it may be more like Bishop Otto, stirring us to action, urging us on, challenging us to, to pursue greater and better things. And there are a couple of things about which we need to When we talk about the Trinity, because whenever I was asked about the Spirit, then said about the third person of the Trinity, we can talk about the Father, Son, and Spirit in quite different roles. We think of the Father was our Creator, the Son, or Jesus, was our Redeemer, and the Spirit is the one who sustains or enables. Not again how it works. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three were there in the work of creation. In the very creation of humanity, God says, let us make human beings in our image. There is something worldly in that. And as regards the Holy Spirit, William Barclay puts it well. He says the Holy Spirit is a bit like nuclear energy. Nuclear power has always existed. It is built into the very structure of the world. But it's only in the last hundred years that we've really begun to unlock, unlock or, unchannel, or channel its potential. So he says it is with the Holy Spirit. It's always existed. But it's Jesus who made her available to us. So why has God given us the Spirit? Well, help me with that. I want to explain the story of Scripture in a fairly simple picture of two trees. 
the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Neither of them are explained. We're not, we're not told what life meant. We're not told what knowledge, good or evil meant. Only that eating the tree from this tree would lead to death. And we can't be told you can eat from the one, but don't eat from the other. And we know the choice that was made. Or not just me, but the choice we made. It's not just the story of way back then. The story of eating is about choices we make here and now, always. And so they take that fruit from that tree. It starts a downward spiral to Genesis 11, to a, to a tower in Babel, where a group of people decide they're going to build a city or an empire. They're going to seek their own glory. They're going to find their own security. But God confuses their language. And this kind of sets them against one another. And the scheme falls apart. And I'll leave that there for a reason. I'll come back to that story in a minute. So you have these two trees at the beginning of the Bible. But one of them makes another appearance right at the end. In Revelation 22, we are told of a tree of life producing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And really what lies between those two trees is the story of Scripture. It's a story of journey from creation to new creation, of a good world that is broken, Quite early on, probably about page three of most Bibles. But from page three all the way to page 1000 or whatever, we have a story of God in the business of putting the whole broken world back together again. I keep talking about this. I, I won't tire of it. It's a story of God renewing all things, restoring all things, reconciling all things. And the Holy Spirit is God's agent in all. The Holy Spirit is walking with us on the journey between the two trees. The Holy Spirit is the way God works in the world. And not just since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is the agent through whom God has always acted in the world. And in both Hebrew and Greek, the words for wind, breath and spirit are all the same. And that's important because it is the role of the Spirit to bring life. Right at the start of Genesis, the spirit broods over the darkness of the void and brings light out of darkness, life out of nothing. God then breathes into Adam a lifeless lump of dust and he becomes a living being. Throughout the Holy Spirit, at different times and different places, the Holy Spirit is said to come upon people to do different things. Sometimes they're really miraculous things. Sometimes they're prophetic. Right through to some really, really practical things. The people who worked at the tabernacle were said to be gifted or empowered by the Spirit for those tasks. And then there's one really telling scene in, in a book called Ezekiel. Not one that we go to that often, but it does have one very famous scene in Ezekiel 37. The prophet has a vision and he finds himself in a valley of dry bones. In fact, he goes as far as to note that they are very dry. He's basically saying, this is as dead as dead can be. And God says to him, son of man, can these bones live? 
And bless him. I quite like his idea. He's quite fearsome in his answer. He says, Lord, Lord, you know. He's not quite committing himself to that yet. And then he says, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord's God, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And later he goes on about the breath entered them, and they lived. Until the Spirit entered them, they were just a lifeless body. It's the Spirit who brings life, even to the most dead of situations. It's the Spirit who broods over the womb of Mary, bringing Jesus into the world. It's the Spirit who is there at Jesus' baptism, announcing Jesus as God's Son, and whom God is well pleased. It's the Spirit who drives the whole work of Jesus. But it's with the work of Jesus, and after he said, ascends into him, the Spirit is poured out and made available to all. With Jesus, the floodgates have opened almost as much as they opened uh, when the men and I walked out through the front door this morning. And the Spirit now broods over humanity, forming a new community in Christ. Perhaps tells us the Gospels are just the beginning what Jesus came to do. That work continues in the life of his people through the work of the Spirit. And it began with the reversal of that story I talked about at Babel, where the language was confused. And now people from all over the known world are hearing the wonders of God in their own language. The fall had brought division. Relationships had broken down. Working together had become impossible. There was no chance of creating a coherent working world which God longed for us to have. And Pentecost broke down those divisions to develop a community through whom God would start to put the whole world back together. The Holy Spirit is given to us to create unity. That through us, God might take his creation towards new creation. Restoring all things, renewing all things, reconciling all things. And that's why I find it so sad that the Spirit has been a source of vision. And that cuts through all the work of the advocate of the Spirit. When the Spirit is at work in life, it starts to produce it as character traits which are necessary for new creation. God leads us towards love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that breathe life into the world. These are the things that create hope in even the most dead situations. And the same is true of the gifts of the Spirit. They're not given to, to make us feel better or to make anybody think, wow, how good are they? But for the building up of the whole community. 
They're given according to what God wants for us at a given time or a given situation. It's not just a case of, you know, just pour those things out and see what happens. Alistair McGrath says, it's like, he, he asks us to imagine two fir trees, that one is in a forest and one is at home in a, Christ, in a house at Christmas time. He says, they're both fir trees, but only one was going to be sur surrounded by light and gifts, because that's all the only one of them needs to be. But they're both fir trees serving a purpose. It's just that one doesn't need all that. And so it is with us. Whatever gift of the Spirit you have, God's not giving it to you for the sake of it, or to make you think, oh man, I'm glad to do it. He has given us to be used, and to be used well, to build up others, to allow God to breathe new life into the disorder of the world. And sometimes the Spirit will come to us, like Jim Redmond, coming alongside us when we need us, assuring us of God's love, reminding us we're God's children, sustaining us as we make the journey of life. And sometimes the Spirit will bring us peace, even in the most troubled of times. But sometimes the comfort will be more like Bishop Otto, coming alongside us to urge us to greater and better, to prod us out of laziness when we get comfortable and, to, and to, when we resist the call to something new. And sometimes the Spirit will be seeking to give us direction, helping us to steer clear of trouble when we're running on the storm, when we're running in the danger of the stormy seas of life. Sometimes the Spirit will be there challenging us, challenging us when we get it wrong, falling into sin, reminding us of right and wrong, and urging us to repent and change direction. And sometimes it will be reminding us of what Jesus taught us and reminding us of things that God has said to us in particular moments when we lose sight of what God wants for us. And sometimes she is guiding us to, in the next step of the journey, saying, this is the way, walk in it. And sometimes she's giving us wisdom and fresh insight, helping us to see things in, in, in a new way. And through all of these things, the Holy Spirit is God alongside us, walking the journey with us between the two trees, taking us through on the journey from creation to new creation. But we need to make space for the Spirit. And sometimes we're so caught up in busyness and activity and in our own plans and our own hearts and the journey itself that we don't make space for the Spirit to breathe life into us. And that is when we go wrong. For it's the Spirit who has the breath of life. It's the Spirit who is the breath of life. It was the Spirit who brought life to the dead bones <coughs> in the valley of the Ezekiel Stadium. So it is with us. So that the Spirit, we're the dead bones. Without the Spirit, even the Bible is just words on a page. Without but with the Spirit, God has used them to teach, challenge, correct, and shape the world. More as God would have it be. Taking us on the journey between the two trees. So when I say I believe in the Holy Spirit, we're declaring a faith in a God who hasn't given up on us, who hasn't left us. He hasn't, to use Jesus' word, left us as orphans but is with us on the journey. 
been to us all we need. An advocate, a counselor, a comforter, a challenger, a light in the darkness. Sometimes a Jim Redmond, sometimes a Bishop Otto. But always alongside us on the journey between the two trees, creating new life, even in the deadest places, taking us from creation to new creation. Grace.